Chapter 24 A week later, Victoria returned to the practice room for the second time that morning. Over the past few days, she'd thrown herself into practice sessions with renewed vigor, albeit with Marie's violin. Adrian was right. Joseph Bologna's violin sonata in G minor proved the perfect fit for her audition requirements. Her sister would make a great musicologist. A loud ring interrupted her concentration. She glanced at her phone where the name Mr. Amati flashed on the screen. Good morning, Miss Pearson. His voice crackled through the receiver. I wanted to inform you that I have a preliminary appraisal of your grandmother's violin. It turns out to be much more involved than I'd anticipated. Her stomach did a somersault. In a good way or bad? How late are you open today? I'm only open until noon. She glanced at the time. Ten o'clock. I'll be right over. Wonderful. I'll expect you soon. She tucked away the instrument and exited the room. Jerry poked his head out from the adjoining practice room. Victoria, what are you up to? My instrument's ready. I'm on my way to pick it up. Want to come? Of course. He tweaked her nose, but she batted him away. Mr. Amati called me an hour ago to say my cello is ready, too. Now I can return this one to my professor. Twenty minutes later, bells jingled as the two pushed their way through the door to the luthier's shop, where the musty smell of wood and dust permeated the air. Jerry choked. Mr. Amati could use some air freshener or scented candles in here. Victoria arched her eyebrows. Candles in a room full of antique wooden instruments? Good point. I'll be right with you, Mr. Amati called from his work table. Jerry tiptoed around several double bases. Try not to bump into anything, Victoria teased. Jerry grinned, that cute, mischievous smile. She was falling for him, no question about it. Mr. Amati shuffled toward them, arms wide. Good morning. I'm here to pick up my cello, Jerry said. Mr. Amati hobbled back to his work table, grabbed the two cases, returned, and set them on the counter. Yours should perform better now. When he pulled out the cello, the varnish caught the light. I've repaired the cracks, made a few adjustments, and put on a new set of strings. The bow has new horsehair but needs rosin. He ran the amber block over the white hair several times, then extended the instrument and bow to Cherry, who reached for them and sat on the only available chair to play. He moved the bow over the strings, but a peg slipped and the pitch plummeted. Mr. Amati chuckled. It's tough to keep them in tune when they're new. Takes time for them to adjust. I know. Jerry turned the peg and resumed. Mr. Amati leaned on the counter. What do you think? Jerry shrugged. Better. How much for this? The professional grade string set is normally 150 but I'm running a sale for 20% off. The new bow hair is $50 plus an additional $50 for adjustments. Sounds good. Jerry glanced at the other case. What about Victoria's violin? Mr. Amati's eyes twinkled behind his glasses. Ah, yes. That little beauty surprised me. Victoria's heart accelerated. So it was worth something after all. His arthritic hands trembled as he lifted the instrument from its velvet interior. You say you found this in an old trunk? His grip tightened around the neck of the instrument. She nodded. Yes, my grandmother gave it to me. He peered over his bifocals. I never knew your grandmother played violin. She doesn't. It belonged to her grandfather. 
Mr. Amati's gaze returned to the instrument. I see. Was he, by chance, French? Victoria's breath caught in her throat. Yes. How did he know? I figured. He stroked his long beard. Based on my research, I believe this instrument was the work of the Mercure Violin School in France. Although established around the same time as the Italian school, the French luthiers didn't gain much acclaim until the 18th and 19th centuries. Is that when this was made? Victoria's voice rose with excitement. Mr. Amati met her gaze. I believe so, but I haven't determined an exact date. Aspects of the instrument resemble the work of the prestigious 19th century luthier, Guillaume, including the extended fingerboard established during his era. He turned the instrument over. But the age of the wood suggests an earlier maker. He handed the instrument to Victoria, which she cradled in her arms. It's hard to believe this violin is several hundred years old. Her fingers traced the curves of the antique. How much work does it need? Due to its age and transport in the trunk, it would benefit from a different fingerboard, a hair bridge, a new coat of varnish, a professional set of strings, and a few other adjustments. The bow, which I believe dates to a similar era, requires new horsehair. All that plus the formal appraisal is approximately $500. She flinched. How soon can I get it back? For this gem, I can have it ready in a week. Maybe if she could pick up a few extra gigs to cover the cost, this just might work. The following week, the February snow fell thick outside the window of Professor Chang's studio as Victoria pulled out Grandpère Leclerc's violin. Her audition for Johann Conservatory was only four days away. Professor Chang pointed to the instrument. A new violin, I see. May I take a look? Of course. Victoria passed the antique to her teacher. Professor Chang ran her fingers over the curves of the wood and peered inside the F-holes. Her eyes grew wide. Where did you get this? From my grandmother. A sensation of pride bubbled up inside Victoria. It belonged to her grandfather. The luthier said it's probably an 18th century French Mercure. Incredible! She continued to stare. I can't believe your family owned one of these. It predates the Romantic era and Villome instruments. Although, she settled the violin under her chin. The 19th century masters must have made several adjustments. The fingerboard was extended to allow the high virtuosic notes. She drew the bow over the strings in several brisk strokes. The powerful tone is incredible, a huge improvement from the student one. Victoria beamed. Thank you. Professor Chang examined the instrument a moment longer, then handed it back to Victoria. You're fortunate to own such an heirloom. The French equivalent of a Stradivarius. Her teacher returned to her desk. Now, time for the true test. Let's see how well it handles the Paganini Caprice Number no. 24. Victoria took a deep breath. Of course her professor had chosen for her to play one of the hardest pieces ever written for violin. At first, Victoria's bow leapt over the strings as if dancing. Then the notes swirled like the falling snow outside the window. The eerie octaves caused her fingers to ache as she stretched to maintain intonation, followed by a series of perpetual double stops. Legend claimed Paganini had sold his soul to the devil in exchange for virtuosic prowess. This work was so insane she wouldn't be surprised if it were true. 
No person in his right mind would write such a delirious piece. But, in spite of its diabolical nature, the song possessed a magnetic quality which enticed Victoria. Her eyes closed as the last chord rang out. The instrument resonated with the ominous work, as if the violin, too, had fought its own battle. Several moments of silence passed as Victoria stood still, lost in the moment, until a slight sob pulled her back from her reverie. She opened her eyes to find Professor Chang hunched over her own violin case, the picture of two red violinists clutched in her hands. She shouldn't ask about it, the last time that it ended in disaster. But as the tears flowed more freely down her professor's cheeks, Victoria inched closer. Professor Chang, are you all right? Her teacher's eyes didn't leave the picture. That was her swan song, the last piece she ever played. She wiped her eyes. Victoria hesitated, then placed a hand on her teacher's arm. Who was she? Professor Chang fingered a chain around her neck the one with the Chinese inscriptions Victoria had noticed months before. My little sister, she sighed. We performed a duet together, Sarasate's Navara, before she concluded the program with that Paganini caprice. Her fingers clasped the pendant. She passed away that night. Victoria swallowed. How horrible! What could she say? Her teacher traced the edges of the picture again with her fingers. What I wouldn't give to see her again, to perform together like we used to, she sniffed, returning the picture to her case. But we can't dwell on that now. You need to focus on your audition. If you perform Friday in New York as you did today, I'm confident you'll be accepted into Johann Conservatory. My old teacher, Professor Heinberg, would be a fool not to admit you. Now go practice your other songs, since we ran out of time. She gestured to the door. Victoria hesitated. Are you sure you're all right? Professor Chang's features hardened. Of course. I'm fine. Go. Victoria walked slower than usual down the narrow hallway to the practice rooms. No wonder her teacher had never mentioned the picture before, taken the last night of her sister's life. Images of Adrian on the ice flashed before her eyes which pricked her own conscience. She'd been so horrible to her sister last year. What if she'd lost her? Victoria shuddered. Thank goodness Adrian's fall wasn't life-threatening, but who knew whether or not she'd be able to play again? The doctor had taken the cast off only days before and told Adrian to take it easy in order to let it heal. Victoria bit her lip. Surely Adrian would play again, wouldn't she? Victoria passed several occupied practice rooms before she found an empty one, stepped inside, and knelt to retrieve her violin from its case. She nestled it under her chin and began the opening of the Bach Chacun. Unlike the previous semester, her fingers ran through the movement with easy familiarity until a short knock on the door interrupted her concentration. Jerry stood framed in the doorway, handsome in a blue polo and jeans, the neck of his cello gripped in his hand. I thought that was you. Jerry pulled the door shut behind him and set the cello on the floor. Nice job on the Bach, from what I could hear through the door. Electricity pulsed through him as he slid his arms around her waist and drew her close. He savored the taste of her lips on his, sweet with a hint of spearmint, deepening the kiss over several glorious moments. 
all of a sudden, the door flew open, and Franklin burst in, a smirk plastered on his face. Well, well, what do we have here? A makeout session with a teacher's son? He raised an eyebrow. Victoria, I didn't know you had it in you. Jerry's insides clenched. This is none of your business. Franklin looped his thumbs into the pockets of his skinny jeans. That's fine. I don't care what you two do here in secret. Although, his bloodshot eyes shone, I didn't expect to see this sign of goody-goody Victoria. Nothing happened. Jerry's right hand tightened into a fist. Really? Franklin eyed Jerry. Look at you, a true knight in shining armor, here to defend your lady's honor. <laughs> Remember, Victoria, you don't want to form any attachments that might keep you from New York. We all know Jerry wouldn't be caught dead there, like his aunt. Fist clenched, Jerry shoved him out the door and locked it. Fire blazed in his chest. That inconsiderate, self-absorbed scumbag. He sank onto the piano bench. Victoria squeezed next to him. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Jerry continued to stare at the floor. She patted his arm. I'm sorry about your aunt. I didn't know she'd died until today. Your mom told me at my lesson. His head jerked up. Mom told you? I'm surprised. Were you close? It all happened before I was born. I'd rather not talk about it. He turned to face her, ran his hand through her hair, then leaned in. But this time she held back. Jerry placed his hands on her cheeks. What's wrong? She sighed. You're keeping something from me, Jerry. Why can't you open up to me about your aunt? I just don't like to talk about it. And what about what Franklin said? His insides churned. Don't worry about him. Just think about us. He leaned toward her again, but she wriggled away. I am. That's the problem. This didn't sound good. What do you mean? She leaned back and examined his face. What are we doing, Jerry? We've been sneaking around for almost two months now, kissing in secret. I thought you liked it. He traced his finger over her mouth. She clutched his hand and moved it away. I do, but I've got my audition in New York this Friday. If I get in, I'll live there next year. And you? His shoulders slumped. I'll be in medical school. Her proximity to him on the bench made it difficult to concentrate. Why don't you audition with me? I'm sure you'd get in. Her voice rose with excitement. You're the best musician at Belton. He shook his head. No. She shot him a quizzical look. Why not? Then we'd be together. He stiffened. I won't move there. But you'd fit in perfectly. Can't you imagine us performing together in the city? We'd start our own chamber group. No, Victoria. He stood to his feet, pulse racing. How many times do I have to tell you? Tears pooled in her eyes. Don't you want us to be together? Of course I do, but I don't belong there. You don't belong there. She jumped up, eyes blazing. What do you mean, I don't belong there? It's my dream. It's always been my dream. Maybe you don't think I'm good enough. How can you say that? Of course I think you're good enough. I just don't want you to study there. Not under him. Under who? Jerry met her gaze. Professor Heinberg. He'll destroy you. Like he did my aunt. Victoria sat back down on the bench. What do you mean? Her lifelong dream was to be like mom. 
to attend Johann Conservatory. She slaved under him for four years, but he killed her dream, said she couldn't graduate if she didn't measure up. Victoria's lip quivered. What happened? Jerry jerked open the door. For a chilling moment, his eyes met hers. Suicide, 